In the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical Carousel, there is a soliloquy. The jobless carousel barker, Billy Bigelow, the anti-hero of the musical, sings a seven and a half minute song just after he has learned he is about to become a father. After considering what it would be like to raise a son and then a daughter, he becomes increasingly worried about his ability to provide for her. It is at this point the song crescendos into an almost frenzy as Billy declares, I gotta get ready before she comes. I gotta get ready before she comes. I gotta make certain that she won't be dragged up in slums with a lot of bums like me. She's gotta be sheltered and fed and dressed in the best that money can buy. I never knew how to get money, but I'll try, I'll try, I'll try. I'll go out and make it or steal it or take it or die. driving this dramatic declaration spurs him to help his friend commit a robbery, an act which ultimately leads to personal disaster for Billy. The imminent arrival of a child may not drive us all to a life of crime, but it can certainly stir up deep fears and insecurities. It can also be a challenge to our wider ethical engagement with the world as we are tempted to batten down the hatches and shift our focus, attention and energy to those now relying the most on us. This narrowing of focus is by no means improper. However, it risks cutting off our parenting from our commitments to justice, flourishing and the common good. It also risks us trying to raise our kids in a bubble not considering the structural inequalities and injustices that will shape our child's attitude, expectations, and reception of the world. My guest today is advocating parenting forward, believing that a key way toward a better world is by learning to raise children with justice, mercy, and kindness. Her project equips Christian parents to model a way following Jesus that has an outward focus, putting priority on loving others, avoiding judgment, and helping those in need. She shows how parents must work on dismantling their own racial, cultural, gender, economic, and religious biases in order to avoid passing them on to their children. By becoming aware of the complex ways we participate in systems of inequality or hierarchy, she writes, we begin to resist systemic injustice ourselves, empower our children, and change our communities. My name is Liam Miller. Welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat. My guest today is Cindy Wang Brandt, a progressive Christian author writing out Taiwan. Her book is Parenting Forward, How to Raise Children with Justice, Mercy, and Kindness, with a foreword by Rachel Held Evans. She also hosts the Parenting Forward podcast, and runs the Raising Children Unfundamentalist Facebook page. Let's make her welcome as we talk raising ourselves, raising our children, and raising our movement. Cindy, 
So, Cindy Wayne Brandt, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat. Thank you for having me. It's welcome. It's welcome. It's actually very nice because often I'm interviewing people, uh, you know, in the US and I'm doing it at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. my time, but it's a leisurely midday interview for me today. I know. Well, me too. (laughs) I'm used (laughs) to doing interviews with people in the States too. So, yeah, it's been really nice to not have to make those calculations with you, right? Yeah, totally. The the Eastern Hemisphere people need to hang out more. (laughs) (laughs) So you've written the book Parenting Forward and we're going to get into that today. Hold it up so that people can see it. There it is right there. Uh, Excellent book that people will be uh, pre-ordering, I'm sure, or ordering during this uh, interview. Uh, Now, as we're talking about parenting, let's just get kind of in the area to begin with. Do you have a favourite parenting movie or movie with a uh, where parenting or the rearing of children or family is is the the kind of key focus. I, um, yes, there is a movie that's somewhat recent, I think maybe last year that came out with Viggo Mortensen and it's called Captain Fantastic. Uh, Have you seen it? I have not, but I've heard of it, yeah. Okay, yeah, so it's a movie about a kind of a really radical alternative family who lives off-grid, and um, so, yeah, they're raising their kids off grid, but it's not like, uh, but their kids like learn lots of languages and they read like Noam Chomsky and yeah. Um, and then what, what the story goes is that their mother passed away. So they had to come into town, um, come into the city to attend the mother's funeral. Um, but it was just a really fascinating movie. Of course, I'm not advocating such radical ways of parenting, but it's just, uh, you know, a story like that helps us think about those things, right? Helps, takes us out of the context that we're in. And, and actually, I do agree with a lot of the things that he says. For instance, there's, um, there's one part where uh, one of the kids, there's like seven kids or something like that. Well, one of the kids starts to sort of rebel against that way of parenting. And he's like, why can't we just have Christmas and Santa Claus like normal people? Why do we have to have Noam Chomsky Day, which is what they celebrate? And the dad, he was like, okay, well, you know, let's talk about it. Why don't you put forth an argument for why you think we should celebrate Santa Claus instead of Noam Chomsky, and we can um, discuss it together. And I love that scene, um, I, because I love that idea that children's voices are just as valuable. And also, of course, it's helping them develop their own critical thinking, right? And having these like equal participate, participation in conversations with adults in their lives, um, I think it's a wonderful model. So that's, yeah, that's one movie that's really got me thinking and um, appreciate. Nice. That's really cool. Uh, well, I'll definitely, I think it's on Netflix. So I'll, I'll check it out. Uh, yeah. It's a good movie. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So I was thinking about the book and the topic, and obviously this is an area you've been involved in, in the, in, in public or and on social media for a long time, you know, with mm-hmm. fundamentalist parenting uh, on Facebook and things like that. So, right. but now that I'm, I've been a parent now for a little while, almost two years, um, I think I can think of almost nothing riskier 
in the world than to kind of always put your neck out and, and comment on how someone may or may not parent or should or should. Oh, parent. I know. Um, yeah. So what's it been like to, you know, your, that your main uh, work and writing and, and social media presence has been around this, uh, this often hot button topic. How have you navigated that? Have you found that, um, you know, yeah. if you build a bunker of some description, I don't know. What's the, what's the way you've been? You've, well, I joke about the fact that I write about faith and parenting. So two of arguably the most controversial spaces on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I, I approach it in the same way for both spaces is that I put my opinions and ideas out there and people are always free to unfollow. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's just the way you have to kind of operate on the internet. Um, And in a way I like it because uh, one of the things that I talk about in my book is kind of challenging the authoritarian mindset of the way that we were raised, sort of this hierarchy and these gatekeepers and um, and this control. And the thing about the internet is that it's, it kind of democratizes that, right? Um, and so I like the idea that I kind of lead this Facebook group on 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 the internet, um, but it's not some. I don't control anybody. People are free to come and go, um, and so I feel like in a way I'm also embodying the leadership that I advocate in my book. Um, that hey, I'm just putting. I want to be fully myself. Um, and I put myself out there and you decide if you, if I'm compelling you, um, if I compel you, then you, then you can hop on in the conversations that we're having. And if I don't, then there's nothing, I'm not going to try to control or, or manipulate anybody, mm. um, or indoctrinate anyone it's out there. You can take it or leave it. Um, but I, I do think that that's the internet, right? But I think that in real life, it is trickier because we do have to respect other people's boundaries. But when it comes to advocating for children, sometimes you may choose to overstep some of those boundaries. So for example, let's say you're in public and you see somebody spank a child. Um, I think that's a really tricky situation because yeah, it's kind of inappropriate to overstep that boundary and tell other people how to parent. But at the same time, you have this well-being of a child that I think we all kind of have a responsibility to protect as citizens of a society, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it does take discretion that's not easy (laughs) um, to determine um, how and when you should speak up and sort of breach those boundaries of kind of respectable behavior. (laughs) But I feel like that's true in in a lot of social justice issues, right? Like, you know, should you confront your racist uncle at Christmas, right? Like those are questions that I think we're grappling with. How much are we going to break norms if it's for the good of society? Um, So it, it is hard. And I think the parenting space is very contentious. Um, but hopefully we can, my hope is that we can, uh, kind of garner enough voices for like gentle parenting and respectful parenting that it forces the wider community to at least have to contend with this style of parenting and consider it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you for that. 
So as someone maybe picks up your book and opens it up and has a little flick over to the, uh, the table of contents, they might be surprised, you know, given they picked up a parenting book. Uh, you know, mm. there's chapters on racial justice, gender equality, environmental justice. I mean, what's going on here, Cindy? I, I just want to know if 45 minutes of Peppa Pig in one sitting is too much. <laughs> or, 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 you know, exactly how do I get my child to go to sleep? You know, like, that, that's, yeah. isn't that what a parenting book is about? What's, what led you, what pushed you to write you know, a very you kind of parenting book, I guess. I think it's, a, I think it's a feminist in me. Um, I feel like a lot of times women and moms are relegated to this realm of parenting, that it's the women's job and that the things that we're concerned with are um, the diapers and the sleeping. And of course, those are very important things. And there are books out there that are very helpful that I give people those resources. But I also feel like parenting is about raising children, the future, and, and not even the future, but current human beings, participants in a society. Like this is not something only women should be concerned about. This is something that everyone, you know, CEOs and politicians and religious leaders, that everyone should be concerned about the parenting conversation. I think that parenting is very political because we are... Um, having our children live in this world and are impacted by the social policies that are instituted by the systems of this world. Um, and so I don't, I don't know how you can talk about parenting without talking about these issues because they affect our children, they affect their peers, um, and they affect the parents and the family, right? Like how can you have a conversation about equality without involving um, parents who are the most affected by, you know, let's say maternity leave and, um, and welfare um, and all these issues. I mean, I don't address all of those things, but I, I think that the parenting conversation has to be expanded much more than it has been. So that's why I wanted to write a book um, that addresses some of those more serious issues that people think of it, but it's not, it's not any more serious or less serious. It's just life. It's just part of life. And we, we should talk about it. How much were you compelled, I guess, by, you know, that I guess most books about parenting or, or family that come from a, a Christian perspective come from a particular side, which probably focuses much more on the private realm or, or raising children in that more maybe uh, traditional mindset and, your idea that, well, no, the, our faith is bigger than that. Like our faith is about mm -hmm. uh, public life and our faith is about systems and structures and it is about the whole of creation. Um, mm -hmm. And that, you know, maybe the that Christians, you know, more on the left or whatever kind of term we want to use, kind of were like, oh, well, we won't write parenting books because that's that's what those other people do. Mm -hmm. um, and, we, and we kind of left this space that, as you say, is still so important because it's still where so much of the impact happens. Um, you know, that we kind of, for a long time, there probably weren't books on marriage or books on relationships or books on parenting coming out of that, um, that part of the Christian tradition. Were you, were you kind of aware of that? Was that a motivating factor? Absolutely. You? Yeah, I think, that, I think that the patriarchy is at work there because the people who participate in these conversations about the public life are not the mothers who are taking care of children and consumed with these tasks of parenting. 
And so that's why there's that compartmentalization. And I, I want to challenge that. Um, I think that, you know, women and mothers who are involved in these spaces also have really important things to say and should be engaging in that conversation. Um, And then another thing is that I think everyone who cares about social justice and politics have to recruit parents as a key strategy uh, in moving our world towards equality because our children are the building blocks and they are the ones that... Um, are impacted by the kind of world that they're going to shape um, as they grow up and become contributing members of society. And so how can you not start right there in the beginning if you want to impact people for peace and for justice and for equality? Um, You have to. uh, They're they're the most influential people. The parents are the most influential people. They're day in and day out influencing uh, the, fut- the future citizens or, or current citizens. I, I hate, you know, I don't like to say future because our children are already citizens of the world. But um, yeah, there are these major influencing influencers in these key developmental stages of a child's life. Um, and so, yeah, if you care about justice, if you care about peace, if you care about these things that the, you know, the Christian left are so concerned with, then you you should be engaging in the parenting conversation. Mm, thank you for that. That's really that's really clear. That makes so much sense. And, and and you write in the book's introduction that you know parenting is a way to start small. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. in the face of the chaos and dysfunction and injustice of our world, which which seems to gain uh, ground every day, we can have a very wow. big impact uh, through the way we raise children and the way we encourage those in our life as they raise their children. Um, right. And when I read this, I was thinking about at the very end of of the Christian Old Testament, and and I say it that way because the Hebrew Bible runs in a different order, but at the end of the way Christians have structured the Old Testament, the Lord through the prophet Malachi says, like, lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to children and the hearts of children to their parents uh, so that I'll not come to strike the land with a curse. And... I was thinking that there's, you know, through the prophets uh, and leading into Malachi and through Malachi, you know, there's this, this longing for the day of the Lord, for justice and mm. righteousness. And that kind of ranges through all society, you know, like, it, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have like structural language because that'd be anachronistic, but it has, you know, this concern for the whole of society. But then right at the very end, that last sentence narrows mm. and, and finds rest on a final promise that the, the one to come will reconcile parents and children, and, and you know, we might be um, given to think it's going to have a bigger finish, right? Uh, mm. It's going to end on a much bigger picture, but it, it, it goes there. Now, maybe Malachi read parenting forward, uh, mm-hmm. and, and he knows, as you said, that if, if, if the home is kind of reconciled and flourishing and raising uh, mm-hmm. citizens with autonomy, you know, so yeah. much more will follow after that. Yeah. So, so I wonder whether, whether that was in your mind at all and, and whether or not it was, you know, what does it kind of mean for you, I guess, that, that those early Christians who were arranging the Bible, you know, did so in such a way that this hopeful promise of the reconciling of family would be the last words we read before an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah 
son of mm. the son of wow i i didn't know about that and i didn't make that connection but that's really beautiful and i want you to send me the exact verse so i can look into it more um but i i absolutely think that yeah the um you know the idea of bonding with a child with a baby like we know from research and attachment theory that the more bonded a child is with their parent in those early days of life, the more they feel securely attached enough to go out and live in a healthy way with healthy engagement with the world. Um, And so I just love that idea that this this idea that we don't... um, we're not trying to spoil babies. We're not trying to um, keep them, you know, in a codependent way by our side, by loving lavishly on them in the beginning. Like the goal is always to have them go out and live their own lives and fly free, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the language we use in parenting. And so I, um, I do, I like this idea of small like this is one very small thing and frankly easy it's instinctual for us to want to love and bond with our our children um this idea that we start small here and then we spread out and i do think that it that is a biblical concept is that we you know it's always coming back down to the small things in order to have the great impact you know the the smallest people the smallest um the most marginalized people um, those, when we hone in on those things, then it kind of ripples out in this really redemptive and beautiful way um, in the world. Mm, that's really great. Thank you for that. So, so you were writing this book while parenting. Uh, yeah. And, and was there ever a moment where you were like, kind of, I guess, pushed to your wits end and then kind of thinking, I wish I hadn't just written this thing about how I have to be, <laughs> like, how I have to listen to my children. Or I wish I hadn't just read that thing about um, childhood psychology. Because if I didn't know this, it would be, or wasn't um, about to put this out under my name, it would be much easier. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm also a little bit conscious of my children. I don't want them to feel like they have to be perfect models because their mom wrote a parenting book. Mm. So I think I'm perhaps a little bit more concerned about that. But when it comes to myself, fortunately, um, like I said, before I wrote a parenting book, I wrote in faith spaces and I still do. Like I kind of write in both of those mm. spaces. And in the same way, when I was writing about faith, I, I openly say this, like I am hypocritical. I write about things that I cannot achieve and I don't apologize for it because I think we have to put out a vision, right? We put a vision out there and we strive for it. But we, just because we can't reach it at the moment doesn't mean that we shouldn't speak the truth. Mm. Um, and so for me, I do sometimes feel worse about myself because I, I say these certain things online and then I end up practicing something different. But to me, I'm like, well, that, that means that I need to keep working on my actions. I'm not going to change what I say because I know this is true and that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there is that, that tension that there always is, I think, as a writer and an artist that we're putting a, a vision of beauty and truth out there that we know we haven't achieved yet or arrived at yet. But, but this is the part we should change, not this part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I continue to 
um, ask for the most radical gentle parenting, you know, the most justice that we can give to kids um, without apology. Mm-hmm. I think that's good. And I think, I think that's a wise lesson. Like, I think if my, if what I was preaching was limited to what I felt I was possibly going to yeah. be able to cheat that week, it'd be a pretty boring service. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's a good reminder that, uh, and I, I think, yeah, I think, I think it's important for us to be honest and say, hey, listen, we're all, like me included, even though I'm the author and I'm the one putting these ideas out there, we're all just trying to do the best we can. Um, and especially parents, because parents, uh, most parents are just trying to make it to bedtime. They just want to lie horizontal, you know, and, and I get that. Um, they, they don't maybe even have the energy to consume a book at this, at whatever point that you're at. So I appreciate you reading it because with a two-year-old, I don't think I was reading books at two <laughs> when my kids were two. But um, yeah, I think we can just have a lot of uh, empathy for one another as parents. I think that's what, uh, that's what moves us forward. Mm, that's really good. Thank, thank you. So Part of your approach is to talk about, like, really listening to children. Yeah. Uh, radical. Um, it, really, <laughs> it actually is, which is the, the crazy thing. Um, yeah. But I guess maybe one of the trickiest or the more confronting areas that you ask us to listen is in the way we can unconsciously act unjustly towards the children in our lives, the way we can kind of speak mm-hmm. about children uh, right. rather than to them in their presence, or the way we would, you know, treat them, you know, the way we wouldn't dare an adult. Like, you kind of talk about an example of laughing at what we think are the cute things children do. Mm-hmm. They're frustrated. Right. Could you expand a little bit on this aspect of the book and, and how this fits with, with this broader call to listen to children and, and parent gently? Yeah. Um, well, I think that we, we say it's a blind spot for good reason is we're so unaware of the way that we do treat children unfairly. Um, so for example, just something just happened last night with my kid. Uh, he, we were trying to watch Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) We were trying to watch Netflix and it wasn't working because technology, the issues come up and he got really frustrated And then I got frustrated because he was frustrated. So we were exchanging anxiety. And I was about to say, you need to just calm down about this. It's not that big a deal. Um, Because I think because I'm so uncomfortable, I want to make my discomfort go away. Mm. But I'm like, how many times have I gotten frustrated with my technology? And why is it that I expect a child to behave better than me? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, in so many ways, I think we just... For some reason, we feel like we can make, we can expect more of children than we expect of ourselves. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, you know, in, in, in similar ways, when we talk about racism and sexism, the people who live that marginalized identity are the ones that are best equipped to tell us what their lived experience is. Um, and so same with children. If we want justice for children, we have to let the children tell us what it's like to be a child, because even though we've all been children before, we occupy a different social location as adults now. Um, and so I really appreciate highly sensitive children because they will throw tantrums. They will demand that you pay attention to what they're saying 
Um, they're usually very difficult children to deal with because of their high demands, but they um, are like, uh, you know, a microphone or an amplifier. I think of voices of all children because they, yeah, they're just willing to, to say it out loud. And I think it's important that we pay attention to what they're saying. Mm, that's really good. So part of what you're wrestling with, um, or I guess, you know, recovering from, you know, um, and this, this runs through the book, was like the Christian mm-hmm. theology or, or the particular expression of Christianity that, that you were introduced to as a child. Right. Um, and I guess, you know, you don't have to go into that, that whole mm-hmm. story now. It's as much as you want to. But no. I guess, you know, how has that, I guess as you've kind of come out of that, before we get to maybe the way that affects your parenting, how did you find, like, in this process of, of rebuilding a faith or, or, or recovering something that was more authentically true to yourself or that didn't force you to assimilate, what were the ways that either friends or, or faith communities that you found along the way supported that well? Because I'm sure we're, a lot of us are going to come in contact with people who are on this journey of, of deconstructing and reconstructing and stuff like that. Um, uh-huh. And maybe before we get to how it's now playing out in your own, um, you know, family and, and, and community, how, how were people, what were the good things that people were kind of doing along the way when you were undertaking this journey? That's such a great question because I have so many more examples of bad things that people are doing. <laughs> but I guess, the, yeah, that's, that's often the way, isn't it? Yeah. It's it is. And I think we should tell the truth about that. Mm. You know, I think that if, I don't think we need to force good examples where it doesn't exist. Mm. I can tell you what I appreciate um, most is when people, um, when people allow me to be who I am. You know, I think I, I have a very complex story and have a very complex background because I am a third culture kid and I'm a missionary convert. So I, in many ways, I'm constantly straddling two worlds. At any given time, I'm straddling two worlds. Um, and so I think when, uh, what I appreciate most is when people let me kind of be the complex person that I am and, and honor my story I think that's what's most helpful. Um, so I, I think I have alienated a lot of my evangelical friends and that's intentional for my own self-care. I've had to draw very strong boundaries. Um, but there are some evangelical friends in my past that I feel okay to interact with because I think they just let me be who I am and they're okay with it. So I think that's, that's the most that I, I ask of people is just to respect my story for what it is. Mm. It's funny the way you phrase that, the most you ask from people. It's like, in some ways, that's the least you can ask from someone is just yeah. like, respect another human where they are. Yeah. <laughs> like we're not, that's not a huge ask. Although again, like the radical thing of listening to your kids, it's, it is. But I think, I think, you know, evangelicalism as an institution has a, um, big problem of blurring boundaries. Mm. Yeah. And it's usually in the name of community, like 
you know, in the name of community, you can tell people what to do. You can police other people's behavior. You can ask and expect things from people that you really shouldn't um, in, in normal society. <laughs> but, but you can. In Christian community, it, all things are permissible. <laughs> and so I think that so many of us are like massively gaslit into thinking that's normal when it's not. And that's why we're like, oh, it should be such a normal thing to listen to children and it should be a normal thing to respect someone else's boundaries. But it's just not because we've all collectively been gaslit into thinking that that's normal. Mm. That dysfunction is normal. Yeah, there might be some people listening who have not heard that expression before, um, gaslit. Um, Oh, sorry. No, no, that's absolutely fine. Um, I'm just thinking if... What are you What are you meaning there? Just let's, let's do a little educational corner with Cindy Brown right now. Uh, well, gaslighting is a term that is. Um, I, I I mean, I need to pull up the Wikipedia for the exact term, but it just means that you slowly uh, manipulate someone into believing like an alternative reality. By I think gaslighting is just like uh, releasing a little bit of gas or something, like slowly poisoning someone's mind. Um, I don't know, maybe I got that metaphor wrong. Um, but to me, it just means mind manipulation. Uh, you manipulate into someone into believing something is right or wrong when the alternative is true. Um, and it's such a, yeah, it's, yeah, it's such a big problem now with, you know, fake news and, and, our online internet bubbles. Like my husband is watching this documentary on flat earthers. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I'm just, you know, it's just kind of mind blowing how these people, they really believe what they're saying is true. And they believe that the earth is flat. And I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. just such a, I, I actually don't exist to those people because Australia is a myth. Um, that was, <laughs> That is was, that what they say? The yeah, flatter? No, I think that definitely at least a pocket of it thinks that yeah, Australia is uh, no one's actually no one actually lives here. It's a like a fake moon landing kind of situation. No, oh yeah. my goodness, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're real. Um, <laughs> fair dingo. Uh, <laughs> so, so there's that past of of, of your faith um, story that that sits there but there's also as you say you're still writing in faith circles and it's still informing the book and your parenting and and your engagement with the world so there's still aspects of this of this christian story of of the you know confession of the gospel that that resonates with you that that gives significance and value and that you you know cling to because it brings life Mm -hmm. so i can imagine then that like Mm -hmm. all of us those things that bring us life uh we want to Pass down we want to pass on right give to others right. you know like there are some even just at a, a level of there are some great works of art um mm-hmm. that i can't wait to show my daughter because i think they you know uplift the human soul and and mm. capture something of our world and 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 human condition so well you know so even yeah at, and let alone then the faith level of of the you know there are parts of the way the christian story you know talks about the world and speaks hope into the world that i you know, feel uh, a good thing to, pa- mm-hmm. to pass on to people. But, yeah. you know, as we've talked about, children need their autonomy. We need to be listening. Wow. We need to give space. And, and you know, we, we all, you know, there are times that we call out, no, you're, you know, indoctrination or things like that. So, like, how have you yeah. found work, walking that line? How do you encourage others as they 
journey to that line? Because, you know, an often question mm-hmm. I'm asked, you know, in ministry kind of thing is, is around the if the kids don't want to go to church question and, and how do you you know, right. that space, you know. So, so I'm curious what your thoughts on this. Well, what I usually tell people is that if you're asking that question, you're probably not gaslighting your children (laughs) (laughs) because you're aware, right? And you're aware and you're conscious and you are um, constantly wanting your children to have their own autonomy to decide for themselves. And I think when, as long as you're aware of that and, um, always wanting to empower and uplift children, then I think you don't have to be so concerned about influencing your children. In fact, the more you love and empower your children, the bigger influence you'll actually have on them. And I think that's just the way human relationships work. Um, And so as much as we want autonomy for our children, we should also want that for ourselves. And I think that's a problem, especially for women. We We were raised to not have that autonomy and we're not told by the world that we can have autonomy. And so it's important that as adults and as parents, we are not afraid to own our truth and our stories and the things that we value um, and offer that to our children. And I think you can think of it as exactly that. We're offering it. We're not shoving it down their throats. We're not indoctrinating them. We're not coercing those values on them. Um, I think even the best values like justice and liberation, we can't coerce that, right? That would be so ironic if we were trying to force people to be liberated. It doesn't work that way. Um, But we can talk about how it's meaningful to us and, and give it to them as just one tool in their toolbox that they're building for themselves, Mm. um, something that they can pick up and use should they want to as they grow into their own autonomy. Mm. How do you navigate the space when, you know, if you feel like, especially with the faith side of things, if they bring home an idea that you feel is a bit, is is toxic or is, you know, reminds, you know, comes comes more out of the world that you were familiar with growing up, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether that's a book they're gifted or something said in school or at the friends youth group they visit, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I guess, how have you experienced navigating that space? Um, I think we have a responsibility if we grew up in a toxic spiritual environment that we tell our children what the red flags to watch out for are. Mm. So I would point it out to them. I would say, Hey, listen, I grew up with this idea and this is why I think it's wrong. I think that it's okay to say those things. What I would warn against is to kind of dump your visceral spiritual baggage on your kids, because I think that's just distressing for them. And I think it might make it difficult for them to navigate their own faith journey if they're constantly having to manage our triggers. Yeah. Um, because the thing that I say is that our children don't have the same spiritual baggage that we do. They just don't, especially if they're in your family, somebody who has gone through those triggers who are not going to raise them in, you know, the same toxic ways, they, they are already having a healthier spiritual experience. And so they don't have the same baggage as, as us. And so we can't treat them like the way that we might be triggered by something is not the same way that they're going to be triggered if they are to be triggered at all. Um, and also you, us and our, 
adults and children are at different faith development, right? Mm. For our children, they're forming their faith for the first time. And that's a different process than where we are, where, where we're, you know, maybe deconstructing or reconstructing or, or whatever it is. Um, and so I think we need to be sensitive to that as well, that they're forming their faith for the first time. Um, so, yeah, I think it's kind of it might be individual to con- to the context of what's going on. But, yeah, I would say don't be afraid to tell them the red flags. In fact, I think we should. We have to warn our kids so that they're not vulnerable to a cult, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like teach them the, the, the red flags because cults, are they, they know how to manipulate. They know how to get you to be trapped in it. And so um, you should um, teach your kids uh, to guard against those things, just like you would do that for any relationship, right? Mm. Like you teach them how to spot abuse and mm. um, in any relationship. And so I would do that, but then also be wary of making them manage your spiritual triggers. And you can do that by um, processing your own spiritual trauma with other adults, with a therapist or a spiritual director, um, and not your children, because they should not be responsible for your for your trauma. Mm, that's really helpful. Um, thank you for that. So, sp- speaking of children and uh, faith, you write at one point the Bible is full of dissenting children, yeah, which is a lovely little phrase. Um, <laughs> it, it seems like we're seeing uh, more and more of dissenting children kind of stepping into the political foreground. Uh, yeah. I mean, here in Australia, there, there was um, like a big school walkout recently and a bunch of kids walked out of school and uh, engaged mm-hmm. in protest and including like developing a list of very detailed and constructive demands uh, which were delivered to the government and, and the protests were all about the lack of governmental action on climate change. So yeah. a big thing happening here led by children and obviously you know a lot of people will be aware of what happened after the parkland shooting and, and those uh, school mm-hmm. children again leading a, a large political action coming right. out of that. Yeah. Uh, in the chapter on like childhood autonomy and imagination, you write that extending children the autonomy to think for themselves is not just a safeguard for their human rights and dignity. It opens the door for their imagination to flourish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess how have you tried uh, to kind of, you know, there's that line that we have to, there are times we have to make a decision for our child and, and particularly when they're younger, um, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it's around safety or just, you know, processing complex information Um, Mm -hmm. but there's this needing to allow to flourish so they can engage their world and their future and their present um, Mm -hmm. and make a lot of decisions Uh, I guess how how have you tried to to engage that and and I guess build up in maybe a scaffolding way um, Mm -hmm. as they've grown up well, can I comment on the um, uh, on your stories about these children who are leading um, political action? I I think that um, a lot of times we think that people uh, don't need to engage in politics. Uh, a lot of people will say that they're like, "Oh, I don't do politics. It's divisive. You know, we don't talk about religion and politics and polite company." Um, but the reason often is that these people are privileged enough to not be impacted by the policies that are taking place. Well, what's happening now is that the children are realizing that they're impacted, right? Climate change directly impacts them. The Parkland teens have their classmates, you know, killed. Um, And so as they are 
they are realizing that they don't actually have a choice but to make the change that the adults are not willing to make for them. Um, and so I think it's, it's encouraging to see their voices rise up, but it's also very sad because it means that they're being so negatively impacted that they have to, that they have to act. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to make a comment about that. Um, and when it comes to parenting our children with autonomy and allowing them, I think it's, I think it's just all about helping them develop into their individuality. I, I think that's something I think because gentle parenting and authoritarian as authoritative instead of authoritarian parenting is so new to human civilization that we have yet to see the potential if we were to let our kids have autonomy a lot earlier than we have, you know? And, and so I think it's an exciting time when we can see what, what might happen. We're, I think we have yet to see the, um, the impact of raising children in this different way. Um, there's one quote that I have posted on my page that says, um, children don't learn to make decisions um, by following directions. They learn to make decisions by making decisions. Hmm. And so I think as much as possible, we have to let our children make decisions for themselves, especially, hmm. right? And um, and. I know it's inconvenient because it's much easier to sometimes to just say, okay, I'm going to make the decision for everybody. But that's why I say as much as possible, because every time you give your child the opportunity to make a decision, they are honing their own intuition. They're trying, they're processing what is it that they like. They're learning their own desires and discovering their own personality um, and so it's, it's like a mini lesson every time in something so little, which pair of shoes do you want to wear today? What food do you want to eat? Um, you know, what would you like to do next? Every little thing is, is a class on, um, being who they are. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, and then they'll take it from there. You, you give them the tools to be themselves and they will live fully into themselves. And I think that's what we get to see. And that's so exciting. Yeah, that's really great. I think that's that's wonderful. And I was reflecting on like you know we see these these kids stepping up into the public realm in, in the political space, and, and you know it kind of shocks a lot of people. Well, people often put that argument out that oh they must have been told what to believe by their parents, um, which I think grossly does misjustice to how much kids are aware of the world and and their own mm -hmm. opinions on it. Um, and and so we see kids taking leadership in these in these huge ways and, and as you say right down to when they're much younger able to make choices on on matters that concern them whether it's just the what color shirt they want to wear that day mm -hmm. um so what does this mean for the church and the mm -hmm. way we do church governance the way we structure our services the way we engage children either through keeping them in or sending them out or what mm -hmm. roles we allow them or not allow them to play or questions on baptism and communion. I mean, this is like way too big a question, but I'll just, you know, dump out all those things onto the table in front of us and, and, and ask if you want to approach any of them in some way. Yeah. Well, you know, I think when we talk about diversity in the church, uh, the question to ask is not, okay, let's just say we're talking about racial diversity. What we don't want to look at is how many different color faces are in the pews we want to know who 
is in the back room making the decisions. Mm, yeah, yeah. Right? Because you can have a multi-ethnic church, but an all-white board mm. and an all-white um, leadership. Yeah. And, so that's, and so I think that's always, if we want justice and not just superficial, superficial you know, diversity, we have to ask who is making the decisions, who is shaping the policies of the church. Um, and so when it comes to children, I mean, obviously, yes, you know, children, and they're not gonna be interested in sitting in board meetings, but you know, you should, we should rethink board meetings. <laughs> Isn't necessary to have hour and a half board meetings. Maybe the children understand better how to get things done. I'm on the children's side here, actually. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but but so, so then I think the question we need to ask is how much of a voice children themselves have in deciding how the children's ministry is run. Mm. You know, something that directly impacts them should include their voices. Now, obviously, they're going to need guidance, mm. but I think that's the question we have to ask. Yeah. And, I and, think explore. It, and, and it's, you know, the comment of they're going to need guidance, that's not a limit of the children. Like, I've, I've been brought into churches plenty of times to lead conversations around mission and, and engage it with their community. And, like, I'm brought in because the, the adults in the room feel they need guidance right. you know to right. talk about you know it's a complex topic you know and right and you know they don't have the time to you know be reading and, and, and or, or visiting all the different things that are happening so yeah yeah like and, it's not, and I, I think it's so empowering to let our children understand how the world works that impacts them mm. you know instead of because sometimes I think we just expect things happen and I do this to my kids all the time for my own benefit I was like you need to understand how this food gets to, to, <laughs> to your table. Like, you know, I, we have to decide to go out to the store. Like I tried to explain all those background because I think our children deserve to know why things happen to them the way that they do. I think that's such a huge life lesson. Yeah. Um, and so I think in the process of guiding them to have a voice in those decisions, we're also teaching them, this is the way the world runs. And, and, you, and you get to be a part of that. You know, you get to, I think that's so empowering. Mm. So we're coming to a close. So one kind of final question. The, the, the second part of the book um, gets into a bit of that, how the world works and children's mm -hmm. place in it, racial justice, uh, gender equality, uh, climate mm -hmm. change, these kind of questions of, you know, the, you know, what's going on in the world, the structures that shape uh, the, the underlying assumptions that shape the society that children are growing up in yeah. So we'll just focus on one, uh, which is the first one, which is racial, racial justice. Okay. Um, now, simple question, and just remember, this is the last question, so it's your final chance to talk to myself and my audience. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm white and my daughter's white, so mm -hmm. am, I, am I raising a racist? You know, is, 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 is my daughter racist? Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks, Cindy. Um, and that's... <laughs> <laughs> your daughter um, gets to participate in a system that privileges her skin color. So it just depends on how you define racism, right? Uh, she, is she racist in that she's going to treat somebody with a different color skin differently? Maybe she might, because that's the message that she's going to internalize from the world, that people treat people of color differently. And how else is she going to, kids model, right? I mean, kids, you know, 
imitate the the world around them. Um, and so that's the hard news, but uh, part of developing in racial awareness is that you have to get past what we call white fragility, which is this, this really uncomfortable idea that white people are privileged. And once you get past that fragility, then you can engage in conversations on, okay, well, how can we be different, first of all, and how can we influence the world around us to become different as well and to strive for equality together. And I think what's key to raising children with racial awareness and consciousness is that you can get them past their fragility when they're younger, instead of when they are a teenager at high school being made fun of um, for being, a, you know, a white fragile person or as a young adult. You know, um, so that's, I think, so such a gift that you can give to your child if you can help her understand that very early on in her life and help her know that she does not have to perpetuate the cycle of racism and instead she can even resist it and be, uh, be an ally. No, thank you for that, Cindy. I know I threw you a, a tough last question, um, but I, that, that section it's of the book is so so rich and, and I, I recommend it so highly because, you know, at the very least, it's just encouraging people to, you know, it's, you don't have to be scared to talk about race or, or patriarchy, um, mm -hmm. children, you know, and, and you don't, and, and don't be too naive to buy into some, you know, colorblind thing that, oh, I don't want to disturb mm -hmm. the, at the moment they don't understand it and let them live in that bliss before that, you know, like it is yeah. encouraged to have that conversation because, you're right, they're going to pick up on the society around them and right. not dealt with them, then we're just going to naturally buy into it because how could we not? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think we have to think of, uh, I think white people have to buy into the idea that racial injustice is really bad for their white kids. Mm. You know, it's not just a travesty for people of color, and certainly it is, obviously, but it's also very harmful to white children because they are it's twisted. Racism is twisted. Um, and so to internalize a twisted mindset, it, it, uh, it impacts their identity in, in really harmful ways. Um, and so I want to see everyone, white people and people of color on the same team, you know, racial injustice is the enemy. Mm. We're on the same team. How can we, you know, we're going to approach it differently from different angles because of privilege again, mm. but, um, but we are on the same team. Yeah for equality. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, Cindy Wangbrain, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, let's hold the book up one more time so everyone can remind you to go out and buy Parenting Forward. Uh, it's got the forward by Rachel Held Evans and, and uh, it's an excellent work. I, I truly recommend it uh, for all you parents out there or grandparents or maybe one day to be parents or just people who are looking for something to read it. So check out Parenting Forward. Um, Cindy, is there anything else you want to plug? Any other ways for to stay connected with you? I know you're in the podcast world now. Yeah, I have a podcast called Parenting Forward by the same name. Um, it's, it's like a progressive faith and parenting podcast. And, um, and then, of course, my Facebook group, Raising Children on Fundamentalists, is still running and alive and well. So <laughs> if people want to plug into an online community talking about the issues that I talk about in my book, you're welcome to join. 
Thank you so much for having me. This is, it's always so fun to talk with you, Liam. Oh, <laughs> you're too kind. Uh, I appreciate that. And I really appreciate the time. Um, and I, yeah, I hope it, uh, you know, the book continues to create uh, important conversations uh, for the flourishing of many. Thank you. No worries. Bye.